You're listening to WLXU 93.9 LPFM Lexington, Lexington Community Radio. And this is Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. I'm an advocate for women's rights in childbirth, founder of Birth Monopoly, co-creator of the Exposing the Silence Project, a national photography project on birth trauma, and former vice president of Improving Birth, the nation's largest consumer-based maternity care advocacy organization. You can learn more about my work at birthmonopoly.com. Today, we are talking to Keisha Kia-Pinelli. Did I say that right? <laughs> you did. You're just slowing down with the ah part. <laughs> it's because I'm, I'm scared to mispronounce it. I mean, my last name's Piscucci, and... Yeah, I guess I'm, this. it's all Italian. <laughs> I'm um, projecting my sensitivity onto you. <laughs> I know you and I have talked about some of the other stuff you've worked on that, you know, has a little bit to do with family law and that kind of stuff. So just give us an idea of what, what your background is and where you come from. Sure. Um, my name's Keisha Chiappinelli. I was a former JAG officer with the United States Air Force. I got out early to have my son and only recently about in the last two years or so, I've been working in the civilian world for a small law firm. And most recently I've branched out on my own to really focus on issues particular or pertinent to mothers. Um, I'm, trying to focus on what I call labor injury, which is a subset of MedMal. And I help mothers who have been injured during labor, usually by their obstetricians who are still using outdated obstetrical procedures that we know do more harm than good. It's a very, very niche focus, but it's something I find very rewarding. And then in addition to that, I've learned just about everything I could possibly learn about administrative law because of the Arkansas Department of Health and the rulemaking uh, with respect to midwifery. So I just like to help people. Um, I have done some family law matters and, and civil law. And like I said, right now, I'm just trying to narrow down my focus. And of course, the rulemaking is very, very important. So that's what I'm working on currently. Um, Keisha is the lawyer for Arkansas Birth Matters, which is a consumer advocacy group in Arkansas. Keisha, tell me why a birth group would need a lawyer. Very good question. We are in the midst of rulemaking here in Arkansas. The Arkansas Department of Health formulates the rules for licensed midwives. And as you can imagine with any government agency, this whole process has been very time consuming, very lengthy. There are a number of people in Arkansas birth matters who have played a role. I got involved primarily as a consumer myself, but found that my skills as an attorney are valuable to the group especially when it comes down to um, really breaking down the rulemaking process behind the rules. So the administrative law part of this. 
Can we explain for people who don't know, who maybe haven't listened to my shows before, just the whole idea that midwives are restricted by state law all around the country, that midwives, I guess, I guess what the starting point was for midwives, which maybe is a little bit of history, doctors can practice anywhere. Midwives, on the other hand, have this sort of patchwork of laws and regulations and rules that can be really complicated and kind of kind of difficult for the average consumer to understand. So you might be in a state like California where um, you know, the average person would have the option of a home birth midwife who might be a certified professional midwife or she might be a nurse midwife. You would have the option of going to a birth center or being at home or going to a hospital. And then there are other places like, say, Kentucky and until recently Alabama, where there are almost no options like that. Um, where does where does Arkansas fall on that spectrum? Good, good question. And this is it's funny you mentioned California because I was stationed at Beale Air Force Base in California, and I had my son in California. I I actually saw a midwife. She was a certified nurse midwife in a hospital, a baby friendly certified hospital, and it was a great experience. So when I moved back to Arkansas, part of the reason I got involved with Arkansas Birth Matters is because I just couldn't wrap my head around the fact that I couldn't have that same experience here. And I was told from the midwives whom I met here in Arkansas, who were all wonderful, um, they said, oh, well, if you hire me, you are going to have to go to the Department of Health here twice during your pregnancy. Now it's going to be three times probably, by the way. And I thought to myself, well, what do you mean? You know, can't I opt out of that? Can't I choose not to do that? I'm paying for you because I want you to take care of me. I want the prenatal care through you and I want you to be there for the birth. So why would I go to this outside party? It's so it's it's very confusing and every state is different like you mentioned. But what's at the base of it? It's the idea that the state is restricting those options. Exactly. Yeah, and then and then we get into the question of where do where do our human rights in childbirth stop and start and who gets to make those decisions? Mm, okay. It seems so like <laughs> Seems like in places like Arkansas, they have they have a, a certain idea about that, huh? Yeah. Let, so I'll just be totally frank. Um, I don't know that we have a whole lot of rights in childbirth, at least not for out of hospital birth. And it is the state, and it is an overregulation problem. Um, I think you have to remember the bigger picture here, and going back to a little bit of history that helped me understand how this all works is you have at the turn of the century, you have uh, medical practice acts being implemented across the country. And so that's when your doctors who were generally white, upper middle-class men who were able to go to medical school, who were literate, got out of school and decided, hey, if, if we within our own states 
are able to put in place a structure in the law that says only we can do this and anybody else on the periphery, anybody else who's helping people and overlapping what we do is now doing something illegal. It's the ultimate job protection, right? We're always going to have a job and we're going to keep outsiders completely outside. And so now you have to have people have a license. The state has to give them this license to practice and do what they do. And in some states, that is, it's so entrenched and ingrained in the laws, in society, that it's very, very, um, it's just very broad. You have to remember that the medical community and their lobby ultimately really dictate how licensing of other um, uh, jobs happens. And they've really created a system where it's hard for midwives in this state to practice. And then it, it impacts us, the consumer, because now it's hard for us to get a midwife and have that out-of-hospital birth that we want. Yeah, I like to say it like the medical profession kind of staked out its territory very early and with the most power to do so. And ever since then... Other professions have been sort of asking, hey, can we also have some of that territory? Hey, I do something that overlaps with what you do. Is it cool if I can come on your territory a little bit? And um, it's such an interesting, you know, when you put it in perspective, to me, it's so interesting how kind of a bunch of old white guys, I, okay, don't hate me for saying this. It's like they colonialized. (laughs) childbirth. And then, um, and then you have these disenfranchised, generally less affluent um, people coming along and saying, hey, we do this too, and we should have a right to practice. We should have a right to our profession as well. And then you have the ultimate decision maker, or should be the ultimate decision maker, which is the consumer saying, actually, between my two choices here, I have a preference for this disenfranchised and less powerful member of this profession. And I want them to have the right to practice. And so then we, we get consumers often fighting for these midwifery laws because the right to practice midwifery for midwives is the right to have midwifery for consumers. Absolutely. And, and another thing that really, um, just to go back to the medical community and how, you know, we have to ask for permission, you know, to have that overlap or do anything that relates to what they do. Uh, I found an interesting Arkansas case, and I don't remember the case name off the top of my head, but I'll try to find it. And it actually was a case where a cosmetician uh, asked uh, her board, uh, her licensing body, if she could pierce ears. And the medical board stepped in and said, no, you absolutely cannot do ear piercing uh, at your salon. Ear piercing is actually surgery. And the Arkansas Attorney General's office wrote Uh, a paper in support of that position stating that, yes, in fact, ear piercing is surgery. 
Now, this went all the way up to the Arkansas Supreme Court, and thankfully, the court said, uh, no, ear piercing is not surgery. But when I looked at the date of the case, you know, in my mind, I was thinking this is probably like from the 1800s. It was from the 1970s. So That's it's hilarious. Yeah, it's really, really funny. And it's really, really incredible that not even more than one generation ago, you have the medical profession here in this state trying to have, I guess, some kind of blanket monopoly on ear piercing. So, you know, do you think that if they don't want to give ear piercing up, that they really want to give up, you know, women helping other women have babies? Absolutely not. Yeah, it can go to kind of a ridiculous extreme, can it? I think so, definitely. And, and then what you said about the disenfranchised people was, was, you know, important because at the turn of the century, when you have all those medical practices acts, you have midwives who are out there practicing, of course, because that's how women have always had babies. Women help women have babies uh, since the beginning of time. But midwives were, for the most part, illiterate. They weren't college educated. Uh, they couldn't vote. You know, they were an easy target and, and just definitely easy for the medical community to marginalize and push to the side. And that's exactly what happened. And here in Arkansas, you've always had a strong um, presence of midwives, or you did for a long time, because up here in the Ozarks, where I now live, uh, you just were, you were just too far away from the hospitals, you couldn't get any medical help. You were too isolated. And then for black women like myself, if you were in the Delta, which that's where you were going to be, you couldn't even darken the doors of a hospital until the late 60s. I mean, the hospital yeah. integrated. So we yeah. couldn't go to the hospital. And so you have the granny midwives practicing down in the Delta, and then you have a group of midwives here in the Ozarks practicing for the people who are so isolated. Um, so there's a rich history of midwifery here, and, and it's really sad that it's, it's kind of, it feels like it's nearing the end of a you know, chapter, and I'd hate to see that happen. But when you over-regulate a profession this way, you're not going to see an increase in the number of midwives we know a lot of people who they'll just practice in Texas where they have uh, access to birth centers. There, there are tons of midwives there, you know, relative to the numbers that we see here in Arkansas. And there is a reason for that. And then, you know, that affects the quality of the midwives too. When you're so overregulated, you are forced to make choices sometimes that are between what is best for your client or patient and you know, what's going to not jeopardize your license. So yeah, yeah. yeah it, like it's introducing a measure of risk that would not otherwise be there. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because look, if you are regulated to such an extent that you can't, it's like practicing defensive medicine. It's what doctors do kind of, you know, like, yes, totally. Um, yeah, I know that I shouldn't run that test. I know that I shouldn't give you this, this drug, but I'm going to anyway. It's just CYA. Yeah, that and, you know, when you're, when you're gauging a hospital transfer, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, 
that's, that scares me. <laughs> it scares me when people aren't able to just practice, you know, the best way that they can practice. And yeah, they don't have, you don't have any freedom or autonomy. I mean, you have to let people operate within their, I guess, space for lack of a better word. And I always explain it this way. I tell people, look, the state just, they want to make sure that everything's safe, right? Everything that they're doing is always in the name of safety. But once you license the professional, you are saying that that professional meets certain educational requirements and they are not now held accountable to the public because if they screw up, the state can take their license away. That is the safety part of it, the, the licensing itself. It's not that you get so detailed and you micromanage what they can do. And when you look at the Arkansas Department of Health, they regulate massage therapists, they regulate, uh, I think it's acupuncturists, they regulate cosmetologists, and I have looked at every set of regulations for those other professions, and none of them, none of them get into the details of what those people can do. So, right. And let's talk about why that is exactly. Why is that, Keisha? I think I know the answer to this. <laughs> I know what you're going to say, but. <laughs> that's because the people at the Arkansas Department of Health who make these rules are doctors. There, there are no midwives who work at the Arkansas Department of Health who help craft these rules. And when you go to your uh, elected representatives, guess what? Their sons and daughters are in med school. They're married to doctors. And so they don't, you don't even need the medical lobby anymore for, these, for the people in government because they already have a bias towards that profession. But in addition, you do have a medical lobby that's very powerful and has a ton of money. And they, they dictate the laws and they dictate the regulations. These, these state rules, they have the effect of law. They are law. They're just made a different way. It's just a different process. But it's all law. We need to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to hear exactly what it is that they are trying to regulate or what the regulations are that um, you and I have discussed a little bit that I think are frankly ridiculous. Okay, great. So let's take a quick break. This is Bertha Loud with my mom, Kristen Lescucci. My mom works at Berthman Opley. You're listening to WLXU 93.9 LPFM Lexington, Lexington Community Radio. And this is Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. We're talking with Keisha, who's a lawyer in Arkansas, working on midwifery regulation. Keisha, tell me exactly what some of the restrictions are that the state will put on the license for a midwife. So like what we've seen in other states is, for example, a midwife um, can't attend a woman if her pregnancy goes past 41 weeks. She has to automatically transfer that woman's care to a hospital-based provider, stuff like that. So uh, yeah, and, and we have that same rule here. Um, if you go past 41 weeks, you're now what we call just risked out and you're, you're likely going to lose your midwife. It often means that you will have to find an, an obstetrician to do um, 
a non-fetal stress test and, and go through some other measures to determine if you can, in fact, keep your midwife. So again, you're seeing that there's not really this, there's not really any autonomy or freedom for the midwife to exercise her discretion um, and, and exercise the training and education she has and make that determination, you have the Department of Health now bringing in a doctor to do it for the midwife. So now that third party who has never been in the picture during your entire pregnancy is now making decisions for you and frankly for your midwife as well. Um, another problem, and this is what personally bothered me when I came here and learned that if I had my, my next child with a midwife, that I would have to go to the Department of Health, my local health clinic unit, see a nurse practitioner there for a vaginal exam. And this happens at the beginning of the pregnancy, about midway through, and then possibly a third time. But the problem with that is, first of all, I don't want to have a vaginal exam at the health clinic. And the rules actually state that every mother has to do this. And the only, if there's any deviation from that, that decision is the healthcare providers over at your local healthcare clinic. You know, you know what's so interesting about that? Mm -hmm. Is if you, if you were to decide that you're going to decline the vaginal exam and then you're automatically kicked out of midwifery care based on that decision, and then you're put in a hospital to exercise your right to decline the vaginal exam puts you in an environment where you might actually have a forced vaginal exam during labor and there's nothing you can do about it, which is really interesting to me. I hear from women all the time who have had forced vaginal exams in hospitals during labor and no one wants to um, do anything about it. And it's sort of one of those things that are, you know, it's just accepted as sometimes this happens with certain staff and, um, you know, you just kind of live with it. So it's funny to me that like there, there really is no choice. And you don't get a choice here either because this is what really happens. This is how it works in Arkansas. You're going to go to the local health clinic and you're going to walk in and, and being the mom who decides to have an out of hospital birth, you're probably going to go in there thinking, I'm just going to tell them, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want this vaginal exam. But the exact scenario you described that happens in the hospital happens in the local health clinics here. And we know that it happens because Arkansas Birth Matters took members and we were on NPR twice. We were on the news in Northwest Arkansas. And we were also on the news um, channel 11 in Little Rock. And members of our group actually got on camera and explained that when they went to their local health clinic as a client of a midwife for these risk assessments, that when they got there, they stated very clearly that they did not want the vaginal exam and they were literally forced to do it. Now it's very easy listening to this at home to say, well, but they should have been more clear. They should have stood up for themselves. They didn't have to do that. That's easier said than done. You know, one of the women who, who told her story, she was in the room with, I think, three younger children. 
And, and she was told, look, if you don't, if you don't do this, you're going to lose your midwife. I'm not going to approve you for your home birth. And then when they do the exam, they're purposefully rough with her. You know, this woman had a history of, you know, I don't even want to get into the details because that's her story. But this was very, very traumatic for her. Spoke out about this, even though it happened, actually it happened well over 10 years ago. But what's funny is that, um, and that was on our NPR segment, but I was on local news in Little Rock with another woman. The same exact thing happened to her less than a year ago. So it's a systemic problem. None of this is just an anomaly, a one-off. Yeah, that was a bad nurse practitioner that day. This has been happening at the health clinics here in Arkansas for decades, over and over and over again. So you're forced to have a vaginal exam. The rules say it, that you have to have a vaginal exam and that the only person who can, who can decide that it's okay for you to abstain from that is the person in the health clinic. So it's just a, a clear, um, we're just gonna ignore your constitutional right to decline medical treatment. And not only medical treatment, but we're talking about the penetration of your vagina. Right. So you're going to, you can't decline something that, you know, number one, isn't even, you know, an evidence-based practice anymore. You know, we don't need to be doing vaginal exams in the first place. Yeah. But it sounds so rapey to me. Well, it is and rape, right? It's state-sanctioned rape. If you have a law promulgated by the Arkansas Department of Health that mandates women spread their legs and let a provider put their gloved fingers or an instrument in your vagina against your will, that is rape. That is nothing else but rape. I've been asked before from all types of people in the community, um, from women, uh, from, from doulas, just from moms, you know, why, why stir the pot? Why do this? Well, we're not stirring the pot. <laughs> we're, we're exercising our right to be involved in rulemaking like the statutes say we can do because the Administrative Procedures Act governs this whole thing. And this is our only way to be involved. And, and also, we want some control over what happens to our bodies. And it's not just us. Our partners want that, our families. Um, you know, we have women here who are being treated really, really badly. It's the year 2017 and you're forcing women, um, you know, to do these vaginal exams. It, it doesn't make any sense. And with all of this controversy surrounding it and all of these news stories and all of the meetings that we've had over and over again with the Department of Health, not one single piece of this draft has changed. The risk assessments are still there. And then I find this really interesting. There is no formal method complaint procedure, I guess you could say, for the woman who's forced into these vaginal exams. The Department of Health is over the midwifery program, yet they do not have a mechanism for women to bring forth these complaints and investigate. And even now, they have not instituted anything like that. 
And that is another part of the problem. So every single time a reporter reached out to the Department of Health, instead of saying something like, this is not our policy, we are investigating, we take complaints like this seriously, they um, played fast and loose and talked about, you know, something else and, and wouldn't even apologize. That's just, incredible to me. Just saying I'm sorry goes a long way. That would help a lot of the women whom this has happened to just have a little bit of peace. But to never once issue an apology, to never once say this is not our policy, we do not condone this type of, of practice, or, or state that a complaint procedure will be implemented, to me is very, very, um, gosh, I don't even know the word for it. I, it's disturbing on a really deep level, and I'm having like a physical reaction to thinking, <laughs> to thinking this through right now, um, it's really, it's really disturbing and alarming and disgusting to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and let me say this because just for people who may be listening here in Arkansas, um, you know, some of the midwives have stated that depending on whether or not they hold certain certificates and have a certain level of training, that some of these vaginal exams, you the mom can opt out, the mom can decline. Okay, the way that works is this. That midwife with a certain level of training has a, a form that her client fills out, and that form says, uh, I'm not going to do a vaginal exam. I've been informed of the risk and benefits, and I've made an informed decision to decline it. Okay, so there's some sort of informed refusal form. But I can tell you as an attorney, that means nothing to the provider at your local health clinic. When you go to that health clinic, that nurse has no relationship with the midwife. She wasn't in the room when you signed that form. She doesn't know what that form is. That has nothing to do with her. These rules govern what happened, and these rules say a vaginal exam is going to happen, and there's nothing you can do about it. So I've asked this question before, or rather pointed out this scenario, and it hasn't been addressed. So how do we enforce that form as to uh, the people in the health clinic, and, and nobody wants to deal with that issue? So there really is no informed refusal, and that's, I just want to make that quite clear. And it's going to depend a lot on personality. You know, if you catch the provider on a good day, are you going to get, you know, a nurse ratchet in the room? You know, who knows what's going to happen when you go in there for this vaginal exam. And most of the moms sit there and wait a couple hours anyway, because we know that, you know, health clinic care is stellar. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you enforce anything when these guys can't agree that a pregnant woman has basic constitutional rights over her own body. There's well, no enforcement when the, I mean, they're, they're, they're the authority. What are they going to enforce it on themselves? Well, when I asked that question in midwifery advisory board meetings with the department of health, they say, we're, we're not telling you that you, you can or can't do certain things because if you have a problem with any of it, you just don't have to use a midwife. I'm like, really? So that leads us to the next point, which is you're driving midwifery underground. So now you're going to take those women who 
absolutely want an out-of-hospital birth, and that's their right to do it, and you're going to force them to go to the unlicensed midwife. And I am not going to get into whether or not we should have licensing, unlicensed is good, or, you know, when and licensed is bad or vice versa. I'm just stating you to you the reality of what happens, that if mom... They're making their own licensing system obsolete is what they're doing. Exactly. And really, if you want to look at it from their perspective, if you want to... Really, what they should recognize is that they're making it... I don't want to say they're making this unsafe because mom goes to an unlicensed provider, but in the minds of the health department, that that's really, that would be their perspective if they would just admit it because well, they yeah. licensing ensures safety and whether it does or not, I don't, honestly, I don't know. Well, <laughs> I mean, we can look at, we can look at safety from the perspective of integration is a good thing when you have an integrated healthcare system as opposed to a fragmented and hostile one, um, that is a good public, that is a public health benefit. Right. So. But we don't really have that integration here in the States when it comes to birth. Right. Right. But, but this, this even more, you know, tears down that collaboration or integration. It really divides. And and what they'll say, the other thing that the Department of Health likes to talk about is that all of these vaginal exams, this satisfies something called physician supervision. And so just to kind of boil that down, our law, our statute, um, our midwifery law dates from the 80s. We were one of the first states to license midwives, in part because of that rich history of midwifery in the Ozarks and down in the Delta. And that's great. I think it's awesome we were one of the first states to do this. But there's some language in that law that has kind of started this ball rolling and started this this entire problem, and it's physician supervision. And what our law says is that the midwives will be supervised by a physician. Okay, doctors do not supervise midwives. They never have, they never will. They don't want to, their uh, malpractice insurance probably doesn't want them to, it just doesn't work. But that language is still in the law. Arkansas Birth Matters tried to go through our representatives last session to remove it, and that that was not successful. Um, But the Department of Health says that all of these vaginal exams and all this detail in the regs um, satisfies that. But it really doesn't because doctors, midwives, or any other healthcare provider, they do not supervise a patient. They treat and they advise a patient, and a patient decides to take their advice or not. I am not supervised by any doctor or healthcare provider that I see. The supervision is supposed to be between doctor and midwife. That can't really happen anymore. And so what does that mean when we have a law on the books that says it's supposed to happen? Yeah, well, it's a classic conflict of interest. That's when you it. have, when you've, you've given the authority for supervision to the people who are literally competing with that profession and generally have a hostile view of that profession and have the, have the ability to remove or limit their scope of practice. It's, um, 
it's pretty jacked up if you think about it. Yeah. And we know that a law can't, it really can't force a private party to supervise another. I mean, or if it can, since we've got that on the books, I guess maybe the state of Arkansas needs to force every doctor to supervise a midwife. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the solution is. I just know that me being forced into vaginal exams um, isn't acceptable and you need to figure it out. But when, when we, but when we went to the legislature to try to explain these things, it was really hard to start a dialogue with any of them. I mean, it's really hard when elected officials don't even answer their phone or return an email like the entire session and, you know, don't show up for scheduled appointments for the few you do get to schedule something with. So yeah. we really ran into a huge roadblock. And I think that, oh, and some of them uh, don't even, didn't even know what a midwife was, literally. This was a woman representative who did not know what a midwife was. She, I guess I had to Google it. Wow. And you've had that same problem, you said? Well, yeah, we've had the same problem in Kentucky where they don't know what midwives do, um, have no concept of it, but the information that, that these representatives are getting about midwives is generally from doctors and from the lobby that is working against the midwives. So we would see like, um, you know, written materials going out, characterizing all midwives as you know, lay midwives and saying they only have a high school education, um, implying that they didn't have any actual training and, um, you know, just all kinds of erroneous and misleading statements about what midwives are and what they do. And it's really, it's really frustrating. It's almost like this self-contained system. And, you know, then you have a few women who try to get out of that system and then they find that they're still limited, even when they go out of the system, they're still limited by that system. It's a little, you know, I was earlier when you were talking about, um, you know, the, the position that it puts women in when the healthcare was the, the health, when the board was saying, well, then just don't have a midwife. <laughs> what they're saying is then you have to go to a hospital. Well, why are women choosing midwives in the first place? Or why are they going outside of hospitals? In many cases, it's because these women understand that their rights are not respected in these hospitals. So where do you go? There's nowhere to go. Yeah, that's true. And the, I mean, the other problem or a couple points just to piggyback off of that is for the really, for certain women, and I believe that women who choose an out-of-hospital birth are the most educated about birth, period because you have literally investigated and researched every single possible option, because at the end of the day, all of us want a happy, healthy baby in our arms. But all you have to do is, is Google these Arkansas rules and you read them. It's going to take you a good hour because they're pretty lengthy and convoluted. But once you read these, this is just a playbook for what not to tell your midwife to ensure that you're not risked out and that you can continue to have her care for you. And that to me is probably the only truly dangerous scenario that can come from all of this because now you have women withholding information 
about their history to their care provider, you know, and, and that's what we don't want to see. Uh, And the other point is, you know, we've said to the department of health, do you realize we have members of Arkansas birth matters? One woman in particular comes to mind who lives in Ashley County and Ashley County, Arkansas, half of the babies are born by cesarean. Okay. So, of course, women who have had a previous cesarean can't hire a midwife at all in this state. You are prohibited from doing it. So now you've put those women back into the hospital system where they're going to be subject to another surgery, most likely, because half of the hospitals here have a VBAC ban, okay, about half. And now we're increasing mom's risk of death because if you have that surgical birth, we know you're two to three times more likely to die. It is a major surgery. So we've asked the Department of Health, why don't you go to the hospitals and partner with them and try to do some education, try to combat the problems that are happening in the hospital that are forcing women to go out of hospital? And they say, oh, we can't do that. You know, we have no, um, I don't know, jurisdiction over them, for lack of a better word. That we, we can't do any of that. That's a lie. They can do something about it. Most of the people who sit on the Board of Health are doctors. So why don't you start right there in your own backyard and tell those people what the problem is and, and start from there? But they're not interested in doing that is really you know, the bottom line, they're just not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. I've said for years that any state that accepts a VBAC ban needs to put in there some sort of provision that they're okay with having a VBAC ban, a vaginal birth after cesarean ban on home birth, as long as hospitals are obligated to do and support women in vaginal births after cesarean. Because if you put that condition on there, no hospital is going to agree to it. (laughs) Um, It's kind of a way of getting out of it. And I think it really, you know, it really reveals part of the root of the problem, which is this is not about health and safety. That is not what it's about. If it were, like you're saying, we would be addressing 50% cesarean rates. We would be prohibiting bans on vaginal birth after cesarean rather than just allowing these decisions to be made unilaterally about women's bodies and their births. Yeah, there are so many moving parts to this. I could talk on just what you stated for probably another 30 minutes, but yeah, (laughs) you have to, it, it would be nice if, if everyone was treated fairly, you know, and like you said, if you would, if they would just tell the hospitals no more of these unnecessary surgical births, but they won't do that. And of course the medical board, at least here is independent. So they're regulating themselves, which is fine. That's how it works in a lot of places. But uh, here midwives are under the department of health. They don't really have their own autonomous board creating their own rules. The way do, you know, I'm a licensed attorney. So, you know, the bar association crafts our rules of ethics They craft the court rules. It's attorneys crafting rules for attorneys. It's doctors crafting rules for doctors. Nurses 
creating rules for nurses. And now we have Department of Health, which like I stated earlier, are really doctors making rules for their competitor, a midwife. And that is completely uh, inequitable. And I don't think you'll ever have a fair set of rules as long as somebody else is creating them for the midwife. It's really a conflict of interest for a doctor, you know, to create rules for someone else. You know, if, yeah, I'm, if I'm completely with like, you know, there are some paralegals that can uh, draft documents from pe for people and, and they kind of work as an attorney, but not really. I'm sure they might have some kind of rules that they adhere to some type of board. I don't know. But if I were to create rules for them, there's a bias there. And I'm going to create rules that kind of squeeze them out of the marketplace. So I have more of the business. And then do we really want to reduce healthcare costs in this country? I don't think that we do. We talk about that a lot. I think that that's a buzzword or a good soundbite and we hear it said a lot, but when we spend more money on maternity care than any other place on the planet and we have the worst outcomes um, and nothing is happening to decrease the cost spent and up the level of care, and, and help women get away from these high rates of morbidity and mortality, then we're just, you know, we don't really want to reduce healthcare costs. I mean, if we did yeah. see something happen with the uh, cesarean rates and it's, I don't know what it's going to take for us to get to a place where women are just respected during childbirth and, um, and just have some freedom and autonomy to make decisions for them for themselves without it being a battle, without it being or feeling like an interrogation. You know, we just, I don't know why we can't get to that place. Yeah, this is one of the last really, really entrenched bastions of misogyny <laughs> in our system, I think. In a lot of ways, you know, we've, we've come a long way in the last 25, 50, 100 years but when it comes to childbirth and the perception that women are capable of have the right to make the decisions about their own bodies and their babies, we are just light years behind where we should be. And it comes out in these little kind of obscure issues like whether or not a woman can decline a stranger putting their hands or some metal instrument inside their bodies. And people can't even wrap their heads around why that would be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, they really don't. They, they'll say things like, well, but isn't that, you know, isn't it safer to know? I mean, you have to have medical care and, you know, at the end of the day, no, you, you don't have to have anything. Actually, you shouldn't. Um, if we are really free, autonomous individuals, I don't have to do anything. And even if I make a decision, and let's just say you have a crystal ball and you know it's a bad decision, you don't have the right to step in and do something about that. You just don't. And, and that's what all the case law around the right to refuse medical treatment is about. And and judges have stated in very clear terms that, that that right to autonomy and to make those personal decisions trumps all else. 
Uh, for some reason, you just have states who, you, and it happens everywhere. There's, there's all types of laws on the books that are unconstitutional, uh, that violate state and the federal constitution. They are all over the place. You just may not, never know it unless something, you know, happens in your life where it's, um, you know, where you find this out, but it happens. Where you run up against it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I've seen it in my practice just in the last year and a half or so. Some, you know, really skewed laws on the books that just don't take into account, you know, the little things like the constitution. <laughs> you know, that's, that's just well, when you're crying. What did you say? I said that the constitution is just an afterthought when you're crafting laws. Right. Right. Rather than, rather than the basis. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share or any additional information about what people can do or where they can get more information? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyone is free to contact me personally or Arkansas birth matters, but I would encourage everyone in the state of Arkansas, whether you um, are pregnant, whether you, um, you know, whether you have a dog in this fight or not, you really do because this really at the end of the day is just about freedom. Everyone should comment during rulemaking period. Uh, Department of Health is taking comments until the 21st. They can be sent in by email or snail mail. And everyone should take the opportunity to do that and be involved in this rulemaking process. Um, it really will make a difference. And, or it should. I guess I can't make any guarantees, but you should exercise your your rights to participate in government and this is it's just really important uh, this is this is about much more than just midwifery yeah well we are talking about some constitutional issues here as a matter of fact and if they can forcefully penetrate your vagina in arkansas they can do it anywhere Yes. And you wrote a great article about the Arizona rules, which are very, very eerily similar to what's happening in Arkansas. So if any of your listeners remember that really great article that you put out, that is really what's going on here. Almost exactly. Oh, that was, if anyone wants to read it, it is at birthmonopoly.com slash Arizona. And Keisha had emailed me sooner, you, you could pretty much just switch out Arizona for Arkansas and the article would, you know, would still be accurate. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much for your time and for your efforts. I'm so glad you're there standing up for everyone's rights in this situation, Keisha. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. This has been Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. If you'd like to reach me with questions or show ideas or anything else, you can email me at birthaloudradio at gmail.com. Thanks for being here with us. We'll be back every other Sunday at 1 p.m. on WLXU. We'll see you next time.